<clears throat> You're listening to the Sans Pants Network. Home of comedy, <laughs> culture, <laughs> adventures, and ghosts. A little bonus re-release episode coming at you today. Later this week, we're going to be diving into the latest film in the Halloween franchise, Halloween Kills. Of course, the sequel to the 2018 movie, Halloween, which of course is a sequel to the 1978 movie, Halloween. We covered all of these reboots, remakes, rip-offs, and spin-offs in our original Halloween miniseries, so I thought I'd re-release for Scream Ages, one of the most iconic teen horror films of all time, the original 1978 Halloween. That episode is coming at you right now. You're about to hear it again. If you want to go back in time and revisit all the other episodes we covered in this crazy miniseries, you can head on back and scroll through and find the rest. Until then, enjoy this original. And later this week, we're going to be coming at you with Halloween Kills, the latest film starring the grooviest killer of the ball, Mr. Michael Myers, baby. Hey, what's up? It's Thomas Nicholas, uh, also known as Kevin from American Pie. And when I'm not going the growl, which I think is better known as the tongue tornado, I'm listening to the total reboot with Cam and Alexi. song um um in this movie don't fear the reaper yeah i don't remember na, 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 na. <laughs> more freaking cowbell <laughs> <laughs> i was listening to this pod late one night and what should happen i'm about to get a fright <laughs> because this is the beginning of total reboots Halloween miniseries. In honor of October, the spookiest month in the recorded records of human history, known for autumn in America, in Australia, not so much. <laughs> the beginnings of spring in and the Southern Hemisphere. What shall spring upon us, but none other than a man known by two names? One, the shape. Two, Michael Myers, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You are listening to Total Reboot, the only podcast that goes through the reboots, remakes, and rip-offs in cinema history. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and... My name is The Shape. Oh my god, he's in here, (laughs) and he can finally talk. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I actually love the name The Shape. I think it's a way cooler name than Michael Myers. I wish they never called him Michael Myers. I think Mike Myers is one of the coolest cats that ever walked this Obviously, the name Mike Myers is Mm -hmm. cool. But Michael? Too formal. Michael? Too Travolta, if you ask me. So (laughs) Cameron, we're going to be talking about Halloween for the whole month. And of course, if you're not familiar with Halloween, a biographical story of a young man who would go on to become one of the world's most famous comedians <laughs> before he started on Saturday Night Live. It is, of course, the rise of Mike Myers. This is autobiographical. 
Yeah, it's about a young man. It's his whole story <laughs> leading up to creating a guy who's the most evil character in film history. Well, I, I, I didn't know that. That's fucking wild. And by the way, this is not... We're not covering new ground by comparing Mike Myers to Michael Myers. In fact, many of our fans have made that leap. Mm-hmm. For us, many oh, a time. Definitely. We have, of course, before we started Total Reboot, we did another iconic podcast. Maybe actually is iconic at this point. I think it is iconic. Yeah. Uh, it's official to say we're icons. It's official to say that we are podcast legends. Yeah. Uh, we created Mike Check with Cameron James and Lexi Toliopoulos. We went through the entire filmography of Mike Myers just to check if it was still Shagadelic Baby. We watched Austin Powers about 60 times for that show. We yeah, watched The maybe Love nine, Guru twice. Maybe nine more. <laughs> I watched Love Guru four or five times, I think. That's true. We watched all of them. And uh, every few weeks, we would get requests from mm-hmm. fans to cover the Halloween movies as part of Mike Check. Yes. Because spookily... Uh-huh. Mike Myers shares a name with the killer from the Halloween franchise. Yes, yes, yes. And we never did it. We never did. We were like, not gonna do not it. Not gonna do it. Not, not gonna, gonna do, do it. it. Um, I don't freaking think so, okay? <laughs> Throw me a freaking bone over here. And by that bone, I mean do the Halloween franchise. And we're like, eh, not groovy, uh, baby. Not groovy. <laughs> no, Sc- Scotty, don't, I would say. <laughs> But now we are covering it. Now we finally get to do it. I'll tell you what, I'm excited about doing the Halloween franchise because it's sort of, uh, it's the most um, fucking crazy all over the shop Mm. franchise in horror in many ways. It started again like three times. Mm -hmm. There are chapters that don't count as canon anymore. There's a random spin-off in the middle of this franchise. For us as the reboot masters, Mm. I think this might be the most interesting franchise that we can cover. Because, Mm. like you said, it's fucked up. It's ridiculous. It's like there was no one at the helm, which there wasn't, to kind of guide what it should sound and feel like. Yeah, there is. it's just been a moneymaker. That's what Mm. people have done with this. Like, the first movie is a classic, and then it has been spun off by the studio into just being a moneymaker every five or six years. Yeah, exactly. Um, Up until kind of, I think, like, John Carpenter has sort of had a um, renaissance culturally Mm. within the last, like, six or seven years. Yeah. And now people want to return to the source. Yes. The original Halloween movie. And we are lucky enough to be living in a time where... One of our favourite filmmakers, mm-hmm. David Gordon Green. DGG. And one of our favourite writers, Danny McBride, are rebooting Halloween. Mm. It comes out in like two weeks or something like that. Yeah, or it comes out at the end of the month. So we should tell you guys what the shape of this month will look like for us. <laughs> uh, obviously today we're starting off with the classic, the icon of cinema, John Carpenter's Halloween from it's 1978. So good. Two icons talking about an icon. That's exactly. what's happening today. That's what's happening today. You're hearing it live from New York Saturday Night Style, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second episode that we will be covering mm-hmm. will be about the re the first kind of reboot or retooling of what this franchise wanted to be. Yeah. John Carpenter, of course, wanted to make Halloween an anthology series. Mm, Twilight Zone style. Mm-hmm. Live from the Twilight Zone. It's... Spooky times, baby. <laughs> and so this, we're going to be covering in episode two, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, mm-hmm. which is not connected to Michael Myers in any way. Then the franchise tried to reboot itself mm-hmm. 
with Halloween H2O. Halloween. Hello, <laughs> I'm saying it Henry Higgins style. Yes. <laughs> I'm hoping that I get to My Fair Lady You at oh, some point. I hope so. I want to get... I want to be freaking... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to freaking Eliza Doolittle to me, baby. You want to be Doolittle? I'll be doing a little more than doing that. <laughs> okay, them. okay. So we're talking about H2O. So mm. after Halloween season of The Witch, they're like, actually, let's just go back to The Return of Michael Myers. Yeah. I made a couple of movies after that as well. Yeah. Shit, shit, shit. Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> a lot of who gives a stink. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Straight up to Halloween H2O, yep. which was a sort of franchise reboot bringing back the classic Jamie Lee Curtis. As Laurie Strode. And she strode right back in and collected that paycheck to make that movie. (laughs) She's been very honest about that in the last few years. And then there was the first, I guess, official auteur reboot. Mm -hmm. This is episode four for us. The entire franchise was taken over by everyone's favourite shock rocker. Do you say chock rocker? Do you mean Adriano Zumbo? (laughs) (laughs) Adriano Zombie? No, sh- Rob Zombie. Oh, of the z- of the mm. American Zombo family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he made two. He made uh, Halloween and Halloween Two, which yes. are basically direct reboots of I, both of them. It's a. I believe Halloween One that he made is a direct remake, and then Halloween Two is just not his own thing. Oh, yeah, just straight appearing into the zombie mind. Yeah, I God, I can't wait to dive into fucking Rob Zombie. I've refused my entire life to see a movie directed by a guy called Rob Zombie. And now we have to do it for work. Yeah, you know, his official name is actually Robert Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we will close out this mm-hmm. chapter with the David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, Halloween reboot yep. slash sequel slash legacy sequel. Yeah, it seems like a legacy sequel. It's interesting because what they're saying, Cameron, mm. what we have heard is that what it does is it takes everything out of canon except for Halloween 1. Yeah. This is a legacy sequel to the original Halloween film. It's a direct sequel. That means everything from 2 onwards didn't happen, mm-hmm. which is one of those things that is both exciting and incredibly annoying yep. at the same time. One of those things that you go, okay, that's cool that they're like harking back to the original, but also I've freaking seen Laurie Strode in a bunch of other movies yeah. and she's got Josh Hartnett's her son. What happened to Hartnett? Where's Hartnett? How come he's not in it anymore? I guess he never existed. Was that a freaking fever dream on my behalf? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cameron, do you think it's time for us to just dive straight into... The Chilling Waters of Halloween by John Carpenter. Let's do it. I watched him for 15 years, sitting in a room, looking at this night in humanly patient, waiting for some secret, silent alarm. Michael? He's on his way. You've got to believe me, officer. He is coming to Haddonfield. I saw the boogeyman. While I'm here tonight, I'm not about to let anything happen to you. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Halloween, 1978, directed by John Carpenter. The night he came home. If this was about Mike Myers, the tagline would just be, The night he came Very psychedelic, baby. (laughs) 
In John Carpenter's horror classic, a psychotic murderer, institutionalized since childhood for the murder of his sister, escapes and stalks a bookish teenage girl and her friends while his doctor chases him through the streets. Bookish. Bookish. What an odd little descriptive word there. I mean, there's a couple of scenes where she's holding books. Yeah, she loves to hold books. She's re- She reads a couple of them. Yeah. She likes to knit as well. I believe knitting would be safe. If this someone's knitting, you're bookish, like... Bookish, knitty, little... <laughs> little rascal of a little woman. Little freak. Little nebbish. Mm. She's she's nebbish. She's Woody Allen type. Yeah, she's a Woody Allen type. She's nebbish. She's a freaking virgin. Yeah, she's a virgin. Um, yeah, the, it's my my favourite style of holding books is um, teenager style. Yeah, to the chest. You have like six of them and they're all to your chest yeah. and you're walking <laughs> and home you've got to school. And you've got an empty backpack yeah, on your empty back. back. <laughs> Clearly empty backpack. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, okay. So this is the original. I hadn't seen it until probably uh, like two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah never seen the shit. So recently, within the yeah, last two within years. Within the last decade, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I was pretty late to this as well. I think I saw this when I would have been about 2021. 20, so within oh. the last couple of years as well. Yeah, yeah. Within the last couple of years. <laughs> like, recently. Last six months or so. Yeah, or like something. recently. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I was drawn to it when I started becoming interested in horror. Mm. And when you become interested in horror, this is obviously one of the ones that's on every list and John Carpenter is known as one of the great horror film directors one of the great genre directors Mm. in the past on our old podcast Blank Slate movie podcast we've talked about Escape from New York I believe and Big Trouble in Little China Mm -hmm. and so I've been very excited to get back together with you and talk about John Carpenter films because I think we had great conversations about him people have always been asking us to do more of his work well, yeah, it's People like... People are going, always harassing us. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting harassed a lot lately, guys. If you could really tone that down, that would be great because it's bad for our mental health. We're freaking out over here. I'm in, freaked. He's deep. Total Reboot HQ. We're fucking going meltdown mode. Yeah, it's absolutely freaking meltdown mode. I'm going to go full Britney Spears 2008 or whatever it was. Seven. Seven. Shave my goddamn head <laughs> off. I think it's cool. <laughs> Uh, so I I gotta be honest with yeah. our listeners. I hadn't seen a single John Carpenter film until you mm. forced me to watch them for yes. that for our old podcast. I popped your eyes open, it Kubrick style, baby. Awoke something in me. Yeah, you're a big Carpenter fanboy now. I have now. become a Carpenter fanboy, and you know it's gonna sound so lame to mm. say it, but. I think what I like about him and what yeah. I like about this movie in particular is that it's cool. He's a very, very cool director. It's just cool, right? I, That's the only way I can describe it. He's like, even the things that have dated, yeah. like some of the acting styles, or you look back at Halloween, you go, mm. okay, some of the, some of it's a bit hammy. Yeah. You can see that it's a low budget movie at times, mm. but what is it about it that's just freaking cool? I think he creates this this atmosphere that is entirely unique to his films Mm. and i find that people in history have become or people in film industry and in people filmmakers that have followed him have become very attracted to that because i think he's someone very interesting for us to touch on in our first kind of big lump of episodes because he i think is officially the most remade filmmaker in film history really a solemn precinct 13 has been remade Mm -hmm. Uh, the the thing. thing has a legacy sequel or whatever, or yeah. prequel or whatever you want to call it. Halloween, obviously. Halloween, obviously. 
You yes. didn't need to bring it up. No, obviously. I didn't. What's another one? Uh, 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 Straw Dogs? That's not him. That's, that's, that's Peckinpah. Yeah. yeah. There's. Uh, well, of course, we've got The Rock wanting to make a, a sequel to uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Is what oh, I'd love about. to see The Rock getting up in amongst that shit. Oh, love to see The Rock take on the jock, which is what I call Kurt Russell. <laughs> Uh, the Fog has also mm-hmm. been remade. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so many. There's probably some that I'm even forgetting right now, but most of his movies at this point have been remade. That's awesome. That's a, that's a sign of a good filmmaker. Is people people want to copy your shit. People just absolutely want to copy your people shit. People like, I just, not up. only do I want to take on the vibe of this guy, I just want to make that movie. Um, so when you first saw Halloween, you know, very recently when you were yeah. 21. Yeah, in the last few months. Yeah. <laughs> I think I saw it for the first time today, actually. Were you able to enjoy it as a film, like a study of a film? Mm. Or was it more like a curiosity because you've seen all these tropes um, aped so many times, mm. ripped off so many times? Like, how, how was your first experience of this movie? I think my first experience was kind of a balancing act of the two. Because yeah. you are seeing cinema history unfold in mm-hmm. front of your eyes. Mm-hmm. But also, you can't... With the works of John Carpenter, I feel like it's hard not to just get swept up into them mm. and just be able to place yourself back in that time and experience the scares for real. Mm. Because... He has such a unique atmosphere, and I think it is often created by his beautiful soundtracks that he constructs for most of his films by himself. Mm. <laughs> no help, no input. Mm-hmm. But I think for something like this, where, like you were saying before, you can tell it's a low-budget movie. It's so visceral, and it's so well-made for something so so with such a low budget. And because of that low budget, there's kind of like a grittiness to it as yeah. well. Yeah. There's a griminess to it and a more handmade quality to it that I think those films from the 70s that have that ability that have that production value it adds to their scariness. I'm thinking of something like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm, as well mm. where if you watch that today that movie still is terrifying. There's a reality to it. Yeah. Even beyond the hamminess. But I'll say like uh, you know I watched it a couple of years ago, loved it. And then when I rewatched mm. it this morning for this podcast, in my memory, it looked lower budget mm. than it actually is. But I'm watching it today. It's it's really it's really quite slick. Mm. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. Like whoever um, shot this movie with him, it's like the they the suburbs are boring to look at, but to make the suburbs look cinematic mm. and interesting is really cool especially when over half of this movie is shot at night so the lighting of it where you're mainly big chunks of the movie you're not even seeing people's faces mm. you're just seeing them in silhouette they're lit from behind it looks fucking great it looks beautiful and the lighting is so the lighting natural is, yeah the lighting is awesome it's just so natural I think that's what makes it even scarier is that there's mm-hmm. no like there's no highlighting there's not too much cinematic lighting there's just enough to kind of reveal people's faces a little bit but it's just like even when they're in their houses there's no real lights on in the mm-hmm. homes it just mm-hmm. feels like either moonlight's coming in or something like that, but it do- it never feels natural. It never feels stylized. Yeah. And it kind of adds that sense of reality. And I think the best lighting moment in this film is when Laurie goes upstairs to the house where all her friends have been murdered. Yeah, that's the sequence I'm thinking of, yeah. And we just see her like up against a door and there's just a dark, complete darkness behind her and the light is raised 
just that tiny bit enough to reveal that Michael has been there the entire time. Mm. And that is, I think, genuinely chilling still to this day. Yeah, there's some great little jump scares in it. Hey, you know a fair bit about this, the uh, the slasher genre. Mm-hmm. How early in the piece was this one as far as like inventing what the slasher is? I would say that if we had to put a definitive stamp on it, I think you can say that Halloween is the first official slasher. This mm. is the one that kicked it, kicked off the movement, mm. kicked off all the copycats, all the things inspired by it. Mm-hmm. There were several films that before this that would be called like the proto slashers. Yeah, like Psycho is the original proto slasher. Sure, where it follows some of the tropes, it created a lot of the tropes, and I think Halloween, obviously, it owes a lot to Psycho. It's got Janet Leigh's goddamn freaking daughter in it. Exactly. And Donald Pleasant's character is also called Sam He's called Loomis. Sam Loomis, which I actually, I knew he was called Dr. Loomis, mm. but it wasn't until this viewing that I realized he was called Dr. Sam Loomis. Yeah, which is the character of Janet Leigh's lover in yeah. uh, Psycho. Just change his first name, John. Call him Billy Loomis. Billy Loomis. Oh, hang, hang on, on a, a second. <laughs> hang on a second. That's the guy from Screamos. Hang on a trick or treat. That's goddamn, what's his name? Poor man's Johnny Depp. Um, I can't remember his name. Skate Ulrich. Skate. <laughs> By the way, you know skate means to. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I've skated. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Tony Hawk's pro skater too. Okay. Do you reckon he should change his name to Squirt Ulrich? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be more modern. Yeah, yeah. It would be more modern. I think he should change his name to Cumball <laughs> or. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, of course, Psycho is the first proto-slash. And around that mm. time as well, there was a movie that we did talk about slightly at the time by Michael Powell called uh, Peeping Tom, Peeping mm. Tom, which mm. is another serial killer movie. So, I think those two films coming out at the exact same point in history, that 1960, they are breaking all these boundaries. They're taking the Hayes Code apart. Mm-hmm. They're featuring serial killers in really terrifying and almost realistic at the point in time really realistic and nuanced ways Mm. Uh, so in both of those films they feature several things that I think would come on to define the slasher including getting slashed up but also (laughs) uh, being able to see the world at points in time from the view literally the point of view of the killer yeah so that had been done before Halloween the mm. POV killer POV shot. killer shot because that's the one of the most iconic tropes of this movie yeah. that was then ripped off shamelessly by Friday the 13th and many other slashes that came out afterwards um I think you know if you're if you're making a low budget movie I mean it's the thing that we've all we all know about mm. jaws is that you they couldn't show the shark yeah. so they just decided to make the camera the shark yeah a big go chunk from of time. the POV and this is like maybe the first one that I'm aware of to to work within those boundaries mm. as well it's it's one of the great openers for any yeah. horror movie even it's even though it's goofy like it's a fucking it's a little kid. Like, it's that's, a little kid. It's so stupid. You see him putting on a mask. He goes up. He kills yeah. his sister. You see her boobies. You see like his, it's a very his sister's tits. It's like goofy as fuck. The acting from 
the sister and her boyfriend is mm. so cheesy. It's hammy. It's, Especially for yeah. everything else in the movie is either quite realistic or nuanced yeah. in a way or uh, naturalistic. It's the last thing they shot too. Yeah. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Because the house, uh, the the Myers house was oh, actually yes. a dilapidated house in the neighborhood. Yeah, and they so cleaned it all up. That's just how they shot it. They shot it as it was for the movie. Mm. And then at the end, they cleaned it up, painted it and shot that. Yeah. Final thing, they didn't have much money left, so it was all shot mm. on that kind of Steadicam, yeah. Panaglide camera. And um, I, it's crazy that that's the last thing they shot and they got those two shitty actors to... Yeah. <laughs> well, they got all the good ones to be in the actual movie. Yeah, yeah. I think the only other film that I would say existed before Halloween that is the most similar to it is this movie that I think we might have talked about on the old podcast years ago with... Craig Anderson. It's a movie called Black Christmas from 1974. It's directed by Bob Clark, mm. who is, of course, best known for making Christmas movies A Christmas Story as well. Oh, really? Probably two of the biggest iconic Christmas films of all time, <laughs> Black Christmas and Christmas Story. Black Christmas is not exactly a slasher film because it's not people getting slashed up, but it is set in a sorority house. There is a killer on the loose killing the sorority women. It's mm. set around a holiday, mm-hmm. and it's got a killer called Billy who we don't re- we never see Billy. You never right. ever see Billy at all. Like not even hints of him really. It's not POV style. We see POV of okay. him killing the women and all that's right. a, probably the closest and we see POV of Billy watching them mm-hmm. and Billy uh has a crazy voice he's like Billy I'm gonna kill you and just like makes prank calls and stuff to all the women to terrify them and it's the original movie where the call comes from inside the house is that where that line comes from yeah yeah there's so many things that I thought were from Halloween Mm. but clearly just aren't like that one yeah and have you checked the children I always thought that was from Halloween yeah that's not that's from some other bullshit that's from something else I can't even tell you what it is but (laughs) I think originally uh, there's, there's a, I think this, mm, I can't, I can't remember if this is true. So Bob Clark and John Carpenter worked together a few years later, uh, or they met a few years later after Black Christmas. And John Carpenter asked him if he would ever do a sequel. He said, "No, I'm done with horror. Hmm. I want to make cool kids movies and stuff now." <laughs> uh, and he asked him, "What if you were to make a sequel to it? What would it be?" And apparently he told him that he would have been caught, Billy would have been caught, he would be in an institution, then he would escape the institution and it would be on Halloween. Oh, so John Carpenter ripped that idea off? Well, he said, the truth is John didn't copy Black Christmas. He wrote a script, directed the script, he did the casting. Halloween is his horror movie, and besides, the script came to him already titled anyway. He liked Black Christmas and may have been influenced by it, but in no way did John Carpenter copy the idea. Fifteen other people at the time had thought to do a movie called Halloween, but the script came to John with that title. I actually heard the original title was The Babysitter Murders. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well, was The Babysitter Murders, and then it, it evolved into wanting to do Halloween. Because they could tie it to a time of year. Time of year. And also, isn't it crazy that they could just have the title Halloween? Like, film had existed for like 80-something years at that point. Yeah, no one had called anything Halloween at that point. It's insane. It's insane, right? (laughs) Like, you think, like, one of the first movies should be, oh, yes, let's make a movie about all Hallows Eve. Yeah. But also, The Babysitter Murders makes more sense as a title. It feels like, when when you watch the movie now, it feels like the Halloween element is tacked on mm. to this movie. Yeah. There's fuck all trick-or-treating going on in this movie. Yeah. There's not... 
Like the idea of a man walking around a neighborhood in a mask makes sense during Halloween. Yeah, during Halloween. But not it- being noticed by people. But mm. you don't see any of that shit in this movie. In it this is movie literally three separate babysitters yep. get stalked and killed by this guy. And it just happens to be on Halloween. Like, why? What are the parents doing on Halloween in Haddonfield? Where are they at? I would love that sequel. We just That's see the, the movie parents I want to see. just going to like the school hall and all fucking. I reckon or it's something. the Ice Storm. It's that movie, oh, the Ice yeah. Storm. <laughs> <laughs> My God, if Ang Lee did this movie as a sequel to this, where it's just yeah. like Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver going down on each other, yeah, and then cut to the kids all being killed by Mike Myers. Yeah, that's the shit I want to see. That's dude. groovy, dude. Should we make a horror movie about swingers? Oh yeah, and we've got Vince Vaughn jerking off, <laughs> looking through a little people. I was like, "That's money, baby. That's money." That's it. Would be we would have as subtle morals as this movie does when yeah. it comes to sex. It's interesting because this the morality of this movie gets spoken about a lot in like yeah. film criticism and film history, where they're saying it's like a grubby movie where uh, where it's like sluts a, get punished. Sluts get punished, but I don't. I don't know. I just see as I don't see that. Well, obviously, that's you can't. Watch it and not see that they yeah. all claim that it was an accident yeah john carpenter says stuff like no we just wanted like to show that these other people were busy they mm. just like weren't paying attention to the kids yeah and what else do teenagers do apart from like they're with their boyfriends and they're mucking around yeah. like that's so it was just an excuse to have them be distracted so michael yeah. could get into the house i think it's something that's so entwined mm. with horror is mm. that idea that there has to be a transgression for someone to get their comeuppance but do you think that was always in horror or is that stuff that has come out since Pauline Kale would write about mm. this shit in the 70s like after halloween i'm sure Pauline Kale was one of the early critics who yeah. would say and all the people that sinned who committed a cardinal sin, they yeah. all died. But Laurie Strode, the pure virgin, she survives. Do you reckon after that, that's when horror makers went, oh yeah, we should do that? I think it's a kind of, it's a chicken and the egg thing. Because yeah. I think transgression always exists in the horror. Like mm. it was always about, you know, you look at Frankenstein mm. and that's someone who is... True, playing God. Playing God. He's mm. he's he's going against God and yeah. then he will get his comeuppance at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, yeah. whatever. I can't, I can't Does remember. he? I don't even remember. I've only seen young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be honest. Like, ah, and that ends with a dance sequence, yeah. I think. I think the original is pretty similar. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that... Transgression has always been part of horror. And I think for something like this, maybe it's people trying to find what the transgression is, like why right. these people fall victim to the monster. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just like, I mean, like that sexy nurse at the start of the movie. Mm. Which, I don't even know. I'm thinking of Halloween 2 maybe. Halloween 2 nurse, is the, the one with the, the nurse, sexy nurse. Yeah. But I'm talking about the woman that drives Donald Pleasance to the institution. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you see Michael jump on top of the car. Yeah. That like... To me, there's no reason for him to be stalking them. They True. haven't transgressed anything. Yeah, well, he doesn't kill her. Yeah, exactly. She, but he she, terrorizes them. He's never seen her fuck, so he can't kill her. Yeah. He can only kill people he's seen fuck or yeah. naked. Which is um awesome. But I think there's people that 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 <laughs> that they 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 relate to the killer for some reason in this film. In this movie. Well, and it's just like I reckon it's that thing of like it does tap into Stuff that we would now call MRA yeah. culture where you're like, you're watching and you're like, yes, she was being 
unvirtuous or whatever. Yeah. She was having sex when she should have been looking after these children. So, yeah, I'm watching her get punished. Also, I'm not fucking right now. I'm watching a fucking yeah. movie. I'm here with my fucking kids watching this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And someone's fucking my wife. <laughs> Someone should come kill my wife. But I like, I love it. This movie, I got to be, it titillated me. It's beautiful, right? It made me horny a little bit. Really? Yeah. Because... Did this movie make you horny, baby? <laughs> Officially, 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 this Mike Myers movie made me horny, baby. Well, it ticks the boxes. It's funny. It's sexy. It's cool. Yeah, there we go. It's officially. We've checked it, and it's groovy. It's still shagadelic. It's baby. still shagadelic. We did it. Um, yeah, it's because it's like there's sex every like ten minutes in this mm. movie. Almost, it's just like the teens are talking about it all the time. Yeah. Probably even sooner than every ten minutes. And the murder, yeah, like tying sex and murder is not new, but like... But it is groovy. It is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't really care too much about the whole like final girl has to be Mm. virtuous thing. I think that's like a lame... Yeah. I like seeing that get turned on its head. Obviously, I'm of the scream generation. Exactly. Where you like to see your horror be subverted. But this is yeah. this is the original. And I yeah. think even though we've seen it be subverted so many times, we've seen it play out so many times, because this film is so perfect. Like it is, I would say this is as close as you get to uh, a masterpiece slasher. Mm. As far as, mm. like, the, I think this is one of the best movies, one of the best horror films of all time. And each time I revisit it, I love it even more. I fall more deeply in love with this movie mm. until you don't want to look at the hole in the disc anymore. Of my Blu-ray, <laughs> but I think what it does is like it has the perfect final girl. It has the perfect villain. Yeah, that's true. Let's talk about these two then. We haven't really talked too deeply about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. This is her feature film debut. Introducing Jamie Lee Curtis. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy because she's so young. She's like eighteen years old yeah. in this film, but such a mature performer. Yeah. Oh, she's she holds her own incredibly. She doesn't. She's 18? Yeah, 18 she, or 19, I she think. She doesn't even seem like she's a teenager. Yeah. Like, there's something about her voice, her presence, that's like, I'm watching someone who's like a mature... Like, a, someone who's a in her late 20s. Student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's like an adult. She's yeah. lived a life. She... I guess she had lived a life. Her mum was a Hollywood star. And, and so was her dad, Tony, yeah. Lee, Tony Lee Curtis. Tony Curtis. <laughs> Tony oh, Curtis. That, that's her dad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's Tony Curtis. Oh, from some the like su- it hot. <laughs> and some like it very hot. The guy's a very fuckable man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. I love Tony Curtis as an actor. As a guy, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't know. I remember he sh- all I remember about him is whether he shat on like Brokeback Mountain when it was coming out. Oh really? I was just like, oh he's very old school then. He's yeah, very old yeah, school. Yeah, sure. And Janet Lee, of course, is the Marion Crane. Marion Crane from Psycho. Mm-hmm. So I think it is very appropriate casting getting Jamie Lee Curtis. You could this almost film. say it's stunt casting. It's stunty, baby. <laughs> it's very stunty. And she's just superb in this film. She's great. She's just awesome. She's like, it's the perfect blend of um, like strong and vulnerable at the same mm. time. Like whenever you see this uh, term bandied about mm. strong leading woman or strong yeah. female role, um, it's often to the detriment of a good movie. Mm. It's, it's often like just someone who's never shaken, never scared. They like know how to fight mm. well, like Trinity from The Matrix who's 
who's like, she's a great actor, Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah. But I don't give a fuck about watching Trinity fight because I think like, yeah, she's just going to kick everyone's ass. Yeah. And- <laughs> she's unstoppable. She's unstoppable. But Almost I'm- like what Ripley became. In like the what Ripley became, like franchise. what Sarah Connor became. Mm. I kind of like that this character, Laurie Strode, is she is strong, which yeah. she has to be. But she also screams a lot. Mm. She fucking falls downstairs. She gets stabbed a few times. She's like traumatized. She's crying. The movie ends with her crying. She's not an expert. Yeah. You never see her being an expert. You just know that she's smart because she's like well-spoken, talks to these kids, has respect for the kids that she's she's with. She's bookish. She's bookish. She knows how to knit. She can crochet probably. Um, But you see her as like this, as this kind of soft, quiet, nerdy girl who's a little bit scared, a little bit intimidated by mm. the raucousness of her friends. She's mm. the good girl. Yeah. Um, and it just, all of it feels, I think we're coming back to this term a lot, but naturalistic in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And I think her performance, like you said, it carries that, that, that idea of being scared, but also knowing that you have to live through it mm. and having to, and just having to go through it and caring. I think that's what makes her such a unique character in horror is that she truly does care. She has that softness about her, but it can... But this through the softness, there is a tenacity to keep going. Yes. It's like... It's survival. Instinct mm. kicks in. Yeah. And there's something very cool about watching someone not freeze in horror, but know they have to act and they just do it. Yeah. And they don't even know what their next move is. She's running around the neighborhood. No one lets her into their yeah. home, which, by the way... Fuck, who are these people? Well, they're all out at the swingers party. (laughs) She knocks on one door Mm. and she's screaming. She's like, please let me in, let me in. And the lights turn on and you see someone peer at her through the window and then they turn the lights off. Who are these assholes in Haddonfield? Well, the suburbs suck, man. The burbs suck. The city rules. Exactly. Got to be an urbanite. And I I grew up in the burbs. Mm. And, you know, I did a lot of knock and run. Really? Yeah. That's why they, you probably got this poor girl killed. Yeah, I'm the boy who cried wolf. I was running <laughs> yeah. around, knocking on doors, causing a ruckus. And then as a result, Laurie Strode got... Uh, <laughs> got terrorised for terrorized a night. terrorised for a night. So, yeah, it's my fault. And so, Michael Myers, the famous shagadelic villain <laughs> of this film. The groovy shape himself. Yeah, the groovy, groovy shape. I yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he was a shape, it would be the male symbol. Mm, and it would be dangling over a hairy chest. Yes. Uh, he's great, obviously. It's like there's nothing to him. Yes. Yeah. He's just, he's a nothing in this movie. I think. And I love that. I don't want to. I hate mythology surrounding these villains. Mm. I hate the mythology that eventually surrounds Michael Myers yep. in the later movies. Um, I hate Jason. Yeah. From Friday the 13th. I hate Jason. <laughs> he I sucks. hate him. He sucks. Yeah, I relate to him. He's got mummy issues. Too yeah. much mummy issues. <laughs> I can relate to the character too much. The first Friday the 13th is cool. I like that it's just um, his mum. It's mm. Mrs. Voorhees doing the killing. And yeah. The, and that in the original Friday the 13th, Jason is just a kid who died. Exactly. I love that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, it subverts what you think it's going to be. But then I hate that. Freddy, yeah, sure. Freddy he's, rules. He's cool. He's cool. We kind of like Freddy. I love Freddy. But any. Freddy's t- one of my comedy idols. You love. He's your favorite comedian. <laughs> he's my yeah. favorite comedian. Freddy and the genie from Aladdin. <laughs> 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 but uh, I love that there's nothing to Michael. All we know about him is that when he was a kid, he yeah. had a psychotic snap and killed two people. Yeah. He was institutionalized. Dr. Sam Loomis describes him as pure evil. Yeah. 
That's all we get. That's all it is. And it's just like, and then you've just got this Van Helsing type character of Dr. Yeah. Sam Loomis just trying to take him down. It's his life mission. It's so good that there's there's psychologists out there who are like, um, if my patient escapes, it's my duty to kill them. <laughs> I will chase him down. And I just love like where, the way that things are kind of thrown away in this film as well. It's yeah. like, where did he go? He drove off. And where did he learn how to drive? And yeah. stuff like that. Maybe people were teaching him how to drive yeah, in the institution. Yeah, it's just explained. Yeah. Like in one quick line. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe somebody... T- he says it in an accusatory yeah. way. He's like, well, maybe somebody taught him how to drive. I reckon it was him. The fucking... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Loomis did. Yeah. Yeah, He's trying to reach out to him. He's like, well, if I sit him on my lap and yep. teach him how to pull the gear stick... It's funny that, like, yeah, he was his doctor for 20 years or however long it yeah. was, and um, he he's so willing to shoot him in the head. <laughs> it's just like... He's got this revolver that he's is, carrying like, around. Why does he even have that? He's a fucking medical professional. And With a it, giant silver revolver. And all it takes is like, Michael's escaped, and yep. he's not like my patient who I've worked with for two decades yep. and who I've been trying to like... Get to the core of. I've been trying can, to get this cunt to talk. It's not even. I can years. talk him down. Yeah. I can like, I can get him back to safety. It's yeah. I have to kill him. <laughs> not even bring him back. I don't have to capture yeah. him. I need to shoot him in the head six or eight times. <laughs> do you reckon that's every psychiatrist? <laughs> like we don't know that about psychiatry, but when you do the degree, yeah, they also teach you how to shoot a gun and like it will be your responsibility. Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the Hippocratic Oath, there's just like oh, also um, if a patient escapes, he's a a nickel revolver <laughs> that you have to go and shoot them in the head with. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's so good. Oh man, and and like Loomis rules in this movie. He's the hero of it in He's a way. So, you know? I love this performance by Donald Pleasance as well yeah. because he is so manic mm. and just sweaty and running around and stuff. And just like that, he's like this chubby middle aged man with yeah. no hair. I think he's having a ball. Like it seems like he's really enjoying, yeah, doing it because it, it is essentially like a cop character. Mm. It's like a cop or a detective. He's yeah. like, like he said, he's Van Helsing. He's Van Helsing, man. It's like it would have been fun, maybe for him. I mean, he li- must have liked it. He did four more Halloween movies. Yeah, I, he worked with Carpenter in uh, Escape from New York. He's the I, president in Escape oh, from yeah, New York. Yeah, he is the president in Escape from New York. Yeah. I listened to when I watched this movie again for the podcast. I watched it with the commentary track that was recorded probably like five or six years ago mm. with Jamie Lee Curtis and John Carpenter talking about it. They're oh. old friends, of course. They became like best friends from working on this icons, movie. Talking about an icon. So talking about an icon, not unlike us right now. Yeah. And then uh, they, it was very entertaining. It's one of my favorite commentaries I've listened to recently because mm. they're also catching up over lost times. Mm. They're talking about the movie. Jamie Lee Curtis hates horror movies. She's like, God, John, that's so scary. That's so scary. Mm. They talked about Donald Pleasance and what, like, what a fun guy he was to work with. But they were also saying that he didn't give a shit about this movie until yeah. it started making money. And then uh, he's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, I love it now. I love yeah, it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. I and could he, buy that. And just attached himself back into the franchise. Yeah, yeah. I could see that he's sort of like, he's treating it almost like a bit of a joke. Mm. There's, there's some really wild choices in it. Like he's, there are moments in the middle of this movie where he just has fun. His yeah. character has fun. Like he scares those kids. Yeah. You know that bit where the kids like approach the Myers house yeah. and he's hiding behind the bushes watching them, <laughs> and he does a voice and he goes like, 
get away from the house or something, and yeah. they like run off screaming, and he chuckles to himself. It's well, he's saving their lives, yeah, but, also but he's also having fun having while he's blast. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's just like he's a real guy. That's what a real guy would be like in this situation. Like, well, yeah. that was fun. Now back onto the hell that I'm in of trying to kill this his twenty one year old maniac <laughs> that's coming around to stab all the babysitters in town. Why do you think Mike Myers wanted to kill his sister and her boyfriend? Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers did it? Well, probably horny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think if this was Mike Myers, mm. not Michael Myers, mm. in that opening scene, I reckon it would have ended a little differently. He would have killed his dad. Yeah. <laughs> there have been a lot of daddy issues tied up with that guy. Yeah, why do you think it's like... like Sex that triggers this whole thing because it is, it's like all throughout the movie, you mm. can't even ignore it. It's, yeah, it's the central theme of the movie is that sex makes this guy want to kill. Well, I don't know, sex makes me want to spill. That's all I could say. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know, he's just like this 11 year old psycho kid, like he's six, yeah. Oh, six. Sorry, for some reason, I think he's 11. No, 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 dude. I that's guess that's uh, where my stuff started happening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's very it's very odd like that a 6-year-old would even know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Anyway, it's cool. Good on him. Yeah. Someone had to do it. Yeah, that's true. Someone had to tell people sex is bad. I think one thing that I really noticed this time when rewatching the movie, mm. speaking of that little 6-year-old boy staring at people and you're seeing it through his eyes, mm. is that while we do see a lot of the movie through the POV of Michael uh, we see the movie through lots of people's points of, pers- of perspective. We'll see it through Laurie's eyes, her POV mm-hmm. shots at some point mm-hmm. when we see her spotting Michael for the first few times. But I think what I noticed this time that made this movie so effective as a whole piece is that most of the photography in this film is also long sustained shots that yep. are shot with a steady cam, mm. uh, like it gives it a feeling that we are always in the presence of the predator in this film. Mm. That's something that I really got stuck into this time. I'm just like, wow, this is so either intentionally clever or just by chance clever Mm. that the entire film, whether it's seen from someone's direct point of view or we're just seeing the natural coverage of the film, it does feel similar. It does feel the same. It gives that lurking presence of someone watching them at all times. Oh, I guess that's the... Yeah, that's the uh, design of those kind of shots when they don't cut Mm. is to make you feel like, am I supposed to be watching this? Yeah. Because it goes for so long. There's a couple where the kids are just walking along the street after school and it's a long shot that goes for like 40 seconds. Mm. And at, at like 20 seconds into that shot, you're like, What's why is there no movement? And yeah. then it's got it's because you're the silent person who's staring at these schoolgirls. Yeah, and I'm <laughs> like, is, hang on a second, I'm getting deja yeah. vu right now. <laughs> uh, the, one of my favorite shots is also quite early in the movie yeah. when we. It's a long shot of Laurie as she's walking away from the camera, mm. and then the shape steps into the side of the frame, oh, watching her. And it holds for like 20 seconds yeah. and it just watches her get further away while he doesn't move. And all you hear is his breathing on oh. the soundtrack. It's so good. Yeah. I also love that it's just daytime. Yeah. I think this movie, what makes it as well so special and so effective when we get into night is that the daytime stuff when we're being introduced to Laurie and her mm. friends and the kids that she's looking after, it is so 
slow. Mm. We're just getting time to spend time with these characters. Mm. We're seeing Michael driving around. That's watching another them. one of my favorite things is that he drives a car in this movie. He just it, got a beat up station wagon yeah, just that he's driving speeds around. Speeds around in a car. Yeah. <laughs> with his little mask on. Yeah, in the middle of the day. I yeah. love it. And we're just seeing them get... Like, we're just getting to know them as nat- like just naturalistic. They're just walking around. They're like, oh, I'll see you after school. Oh, I've got to babysit and mm. stuff like that. And it just feels so real. And then we get into the hyper scary stuff at nighttime. We see a change in day yeah. where we see... Like, it's set in autumn. Obviously, it's Halloween. Yep. But because it's filmed in Los Angeles, they don't really have autumn there. It's just mm. summer and gets a bit cold. Older, and then we, you know, there's it's meant to look like a Illinois, Chicago, and type mm. area where suburb is meant to be like Home Alone. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that was a reference for them, but you know what I mean. No, they love it, John Hughes. It's it's meant to be a John Hughes esque film, uh, but you know, we don't see any autumn leaves because they don't exist in LA. Mm. And then when we see her come out of her house in in the evening after she's gone home and gone changed after school, then we start seeing the dead leaves just start yeah. flying around. And while that is something that they had to do for necessity to make mm. them there, it does signify like a change in the film yeah. where things start to go dark. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I love about the use of location in this mm. movie. And again, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know too much about the origins of yeah. the slasher, but I feel like whether it was by necessity of budget or just the it was a deliberate choice in the writing of this movie, setting it in the suburbs seems like this is one of the earliest movies to make normalcy and mediocrity a setting for terror. Mm. And I think that is so cool. And we've seen it everywhere since, yeah. obviously. But it's like such a shift away from gothic horror. Yeah. Um, where Or even like paranormal horror. It's like, okay, this happens in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just clotheslines. Yes, all the, terror comes to yeah, you. All iconography of the burbs. Clotheslines, station yep. wagons, driveways. Kids playing catch. Yeah, fluoro lights, all that kind of Kids shit. Kids playing hockey on the street. Game on, game, on, game, game off. off. Mike Myers is hanging out. All that shit is now, uh, is now just where horror happens. And that is, yes. it's, we've seen it a lot since, but it feels like this movie must have been if not the first, one of the first, mm. yeah, to bring horror to America. That's such a good point. And that's probably why it was such a hit. Because, yeah, yeah fucking horror movies, everyone always loves horror movies, but if you're a teenager and you hear about a movie that's about a killer who comes to your neighborhood, mm. you're like, yeah, I'll go watch that fucking movie. Yeah, I think it is really the first life. Like, because Psycho is like, she mm. goes to the killer. Mm-hmm. Peeping Tom, you're, the killer is the main character. It's set in London. Mm. Uh, then with, I guess, Black Christmas is closer, but it's not there either because mm. it's at a university. Yeah. It's at a sorority house and the killer gets into the house. Yeah. Whereas this is, it's the whole neighborhood is in danger. Mm. And I think that's such a good point. I think that's why people connected with it. So I think the in horror genre that wasn't really happening. Maybe more in I'm thinking of classic genres. It's more in line with kind of sci-fi, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay, yeah, and sure. And the remake that came out around the same time as this movie. While it's not suburban, it is still a terror coming into their home. But yep. this is totally different. And maybe that's uh, something that we need to keep in mind for watching these reboots: is mm. seeing how they tried or how they succeeded or failed. Yeah. With um, like 
extending that premise or bringing horror to other elements of Americana yeah. or suburbia or the city or anything like that. I think from what we've seen of the trailer of the the new David Gordon Green ho- Halloween, it looks like it's going to be very much in line with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other ones, like one set at a school. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Season of the Witch is something, something entirely different. I don't different. even know what Season of the Witch is. No. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. But I think before we close up, Maybe we can talk about the film briefly that happened in between the original Halloween and Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I'm, mm. of course, talking about Halloween the Deuce, Halloween 2. <laughs> so, you've seen this before, right? Yeah, I saw it recently, probably within the last eight or nine years. I've uh, seen it pretty recently, too, within the last 24 hours or so <laughs> for the first time. Oh, you saw it for the first time? For the first wow. time. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. Me, too. I think it surprised me because mm. I knew that it didn't have that... It is, I mean, I think over time it doesn't have the best reputation. Well, it's just it's just a follow up, you know. Like, how do you how do you follow up a classic? I think that's how you do it, and really. It, it follows yeah. up an instant classic by just being an instant sequel instantaneously. I love that about it. I love that it literally begins minutes after the first one ends, mm. and it's it begins the same way as the first. It's K-O-V. Rocky style, baby. Yeah, <laughs> they just cut. They, they do the the first ten minutes is the last ten minutes of the last one. It yeah. keeps on going. I think it's really cool. I think I. You know, I watched it a little bit cynically mm. with, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is just the cash grab. Yeah. Donald Pleasance came back for the money. Yeah. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is yeah. still there, but she's like in a coma for a yeah. lot of the movie. John Carpenter didn't want to do it. Yeah. So it's going to be copying his style, yeah. using his score. But I really did enjoy it. Mm. Even though you're starting to see the beginnings of corny yeah. horror tropes. Um, the, for example, the death by hot tub sequence in oh, the hospital. Oh, that's such a like putrid slasher moment. Yeah. It's like a full on splatter film yeah. where you see someone's head get dunked into a hot tub yeah, and come the, up like a boiled chicken. Yeah, like that already <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, this sucks a little bit. Yeah. Like you can, interesting, intricate deaths mm. suck. And there's a full-on, like, care. sexy nurse. Yeah, who's, like, got fake boobs and it's all... Like, red lingerie. Yeah, this is, like, the beginnings of the 80s horror mm. slashes, which were full of shit like that. Yeah. Like, like obvious sex with, like, strippers being cast as yeah. characters. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, deaths by, like, fucking microwave and weird dumb Exactly, shit. weird stuff. And I think what separates it from the horror slashes that would follow it is those slashes were very much more like Agatha Christie whodunits. They're mm. like, there's a murderer in the house. Who mm. could it be? And mm. stuff like that. So this one being like this really urgent sequel where Donald Pleasant's like, he's still out there. <laughs> he's got his gun out the entire movie <laughs> running around with his gun out. And they accidentally kill a teenager who's like dressed up the same oh, as Mike Right, yeah. Where he's just like crossing the road and a guy, <laughs> and he's like, should we shoot him? Should we shoot him? And they're like, no, no, don't shoot him. <laughs> then a police car smashes this kid <laughs> and, and drives him directly into a van. He's pinned between the police car and a van. Then they both explode and they have to get like a dentist to come in and identify <laughs> the body. He's like, well, he's only 17. He's like, Mike Myers is 21 years of age. He's like, he's still out there. And then they just forget about the kid. It's just like, it's pretty crazy, but yeah. I think the urgency and manicness of Donald Pleasance in the film just like kind of brings it up to that level. Yeah, it's just it's just not as classy as the mm. first one, but it is still cool. It's still cool. I think it's worth watching, but yeah. sadly no longer canon. 
Yeah, that's With true. With the new film coming <laughs> out, it's true. no longer canon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this one introduced the idea that Laurie Strode is the brother or the... No, the stepsister of Michael Myers. I think it's... Or half-sister or some shit like that. It's kind of complicated. I think she's the sister, but after... She was like three years younger than him. And then after... Before he even went on the rampage, the mother gave her up. It's yeah. like kind of complicated. Yeah. Because she grew up with the Strodes and there's a scene where like... Mother Strode is just putting up like a blanket on the clothesline. She goes, I told you I'm not your mother. Yeah, it's like, it's mm. just stupid. Like that that mythology of trying to tie them together is like, I find it a big mm. stretch. Yeah. I don't care. I don't want people to be related in these things. It's just random. And that's what I liked about it. Yeah, it, it gives that creepiness that it could happen to you. But that hung Nicolas on Nicolas Cage to- style. <laughs> <laughs> that hung on to like all the sequels. Yeah. It was like Laurie is his brother. Yeah. Uh, sister, fucking hell. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I think in this new one, they are completely undoing that. Yeah. So that's not a thing. That's interesting. It's interesting that they're going back and going everything but one doesn't count. Like, there's a scene in the first trailer for this new Halloween where someone says, isn't your mother the sister of Michael Myers? And another character says, no, that's just an urban legend. Like, I like that. I like that they've just acknowledged it, but also said it's stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't... Didn't Michael Myers disappear for a few years and we followed another family for a minute? <laughs> yeah. Didn't it, wasn't there something about a like haunted masks and leprechauns and shit like that? Oh no, no, no. No, no, that's an urban legend. That's actually not related to this that's at all. Actually got, that's actually one of the dumbest ideas I've ever heard. <laughs> so Cameron, next we'll be talking about Halloween three, season of the witch, which of course is what John Carpenter wanted to do if this was to be a franchise mm. where each one would be a separate, different type of movie. Have you ever seen Season of the Witch before? Never. Neither have I. I'm really interested to do it. I want to do it purely because I think it's going to suck. Mm. But I'm also um, I'm intrigued by this idea of an anthology series. There's supporters for this film out there. There are yeah. out there in the world, especially on the internet. It's just so funny that... Um, you can. We live in a world where they did try to make it an anthology, yeah, and then just gave up and went back to the original yeah. plot, and just it's still part of it. It's still part <laughs> of it. You think it would just be called like live die repeat style, like a different thing? Yeah, now. yeah. But they kept it part of the franchise, so that's the first kind of reboot or redirection of what this franchise was going to be. Yeah, a new direction, something I'm very excited about. Yeah, you love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, join us next week when we talk about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. In the meantime, if you want to chat to us, you can head on over to twitter.com and type into the little search bar, Total Reboot Pods. And you might get a nice surprise. You might see us two there. You can also talk to us individually. I'm at I am Cameron James. Lex is at This is Alexi. And we're on Instagram at those two addresses as well. Yeah. If you want to email us, you can email us at Alexi at betapods.net. Just email me there. It's easier <laughs> for me to find it that way. Uh, what else can I say? Give us five stars on iTunes yep. or all that kind of stuff. We love that. Join our Patreon if yes. you want more bonus content we've got a lot of fun stuff coming out over on the patreon yes what we do on there we do another podcast called total reboot riffs where we riff a classic film into a remake of our own design we've done some really fun ones back to the future is one that you've heard on this mainstream if you want to head on over there we've got some new ones including one our first tv to film reboot frasier mm. with a little 
rocky twist to it all. What would that be like? Hmm. Well, you'll have to subscribe to the Patreon to find out. Until then, thank you for listening to the only podcast on the internet about movies. We love you and good night. Mm-hmm.